Your word is life, Lord. It's just not some regular book with words and things on a page. I pray that the soil of our hearts would just be ready. I pray, Lord, that uh, I would not uh, distract or interrupt from anything that you want to communicate or have your word say. And I pray, Father, that you give all of us, Lord, just an ability, Lord, to hold on to the meat, get rid of the bones maybe that we don't need, Lord, but to hold on to the stuff, Lord, that really matters. And I just pray you speak to our hearts, Lord. I know that you will. Holy Spirit, show us how to put your truths and how to put your principles in practice. And may we again just be encouraged about how good you are, about how faithful you are, and may we just be encouraged to just trust you with more. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty. So, First uh, Samuel 10. Um, let's try and do a quick recap. And, uh, and you know what? Actually, before I recap, let me just talk about a couple of things. So, here's the reality, okay? Here's, here's the reality. In case you didn't hear it all week long, at least you get to hear it once right now, and hopefully the Spirit just reinforces it later during the week, okay? Uh, the one th- there's a couple of things. The world absolutely needs Jesus, okay? Absolutely the world needs Jesus. Um, and it needs, like, the Jesus of the Bible, the way he lived, the way he acted, the way he talked, the way he thought. He modeled exactly where he wants us to go. So the world absolutely needs that. Now, and, and that's why he came. I mean, it's the whole reason we have Christmas. That's why his name is Jesus. It means Savior. That's the whole reason he came to save, seek and save. So, what the world also needs is the world also needs myself, it needs you. It needs all of our Christian brothers and sisters. It needs the absolute best version. The best version. The ideal version that God had in mind when he created me. So whenever he, when he thought about Jared, he's like, okay, that's, this is my plan. Or when he had Levon, he's like, this is what I'm doing with Levon. This is the idea. This is the creation I have behind it. Right? When he had Rob, when he was thinking about that, because everybody knows God just doesn't make things without some kind of intelligent design and creation to it. He, he doesn't do that. He just doesn't make garbage and be like, ah, you know, I, I didn't really think much about it. I just sort of made it. It's just not what he does. We might do stuff like that to kind of get practice runs in and make something nice, but he doesn't need to do that. That's not what he does. He's creative, genius, brilliance, and perfection all combined into one, and he always gets it right the first time. Although we don't, but he does. So, what the world needs is certainly Jesus. What the world also needs is it needs the version of us that's the best. When I say the best, I mean the one that just is completely comfortable in our own skin and who we are, and it's got the gospel, the truth, all over it. So, the world definitely needs a version of Jared where, like, Insecurities don't rule the day. Where offenses are not a primary means of communication in my life. Um, Where fears don't control and dictate where I move and what I decide and what happens. Where all those types of things, they're not main issues. Unforgiveness doesn't just like have just a regular operating place. So the best version of me is one that, that... doesn't really have those things calling most of the shots. And it also has the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ just completely just pouring out of my life in every way, shape, or form. Not just I have to say it all the time, it just, it just comes out in just the stuff that I do and where I interact. And it's the same is true for you. Nogatik needs, this world needs, your family needs, the absolute best version of you with the gospel flowing all through it. Anything less is going to be a mistake. It's not going to work out real well. Okay? It's not going to work out well. And I say that because we're about to read about Saul. And this is an interesting chapter because in this chapter, he was just an ordinary person came from a pretty well-to-do family, but pretty much an ordinary guy. Um, 
he did have good looks. I guess he was really tall. He, he looked pretty well. So I guess maybe not that ordinary. But he, he certainly didn't think very highly of himself. He didn't think he was that impressive. But when it came time for a king, for God's own reasons, he chose Saul. And he said, hey, you're the one. And what God did is he like equipped him, he empowered him, he gave him everything that he needed to succeed and do really well. And I don't think that God just loves Saul more than he loves you and I. I think he cares about us as well. He wants to equip us, empower us to do very well and to be extremely successful. And God gets to decide or define successful also, right? Like he decides that. So, what we might think is successful, he's, he has a different definition, different way of looking at it. So, he's, we're going to look at Saul. He's going to be empowered. He's going to be equipped. He's going to have like just kind of just radical things that happen. Um, and then I just want to pull out a couple of highlights of, of observations that I hope are helpful to you. They are encouraging to me, and I hope they're helpful to you. All right? So, let's take a look. 1 Samuel 10. Here we go. It says, Then Samuel took a flask of oil, poured it on Saul's head, kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? That's a big-time verse right there. Right then and there, Saul, he gets basically anointed as king of the entire Israel nation right then and there. And that's the first time it's ever happened. Taking a flask of oil, pouring on somebody's head, kissing them, and then they prayed there as well. That was only happening for priests. This is the first time it ever happened for kings. So this is a huge moment. So if you can think about moments in your own life that were like pivotal moments, like super important. Just monumental marks in your life. You might have one, two, three, whatever. I don't know what they are, where you were, what was happening, what you were feeling. But you think of them, whatever they might be. And it's worthwhile to reflect on that stuff too, by the way, because sometimes we forget really important moments in our lives. And actually, there's probably a good chance that whatever moments you're thinking about, whatever comes to your mind, I bet for a good chunk of people in here, those moments, whatever they are, um, you might not have been on top of the mountain or might not have been super successful or like winning in that moment. Some of my most significant ones were when I failed. I threw it like all in. I thought it was totally the right move and I was totally wrong. Just failed. Um, So I don't know what your monumental marks are. But for Saul here in this moment, it's like, man, he's literally on top of a mountain. Literally on the top of the mountain. Samuel breaks his oil. Boom. Nobody's there to see, which is pretty interesting, which we'll talk about later. And he says, are you not now the leader of God's people? So, then Samuel is going to get uh, into confirming the call that's going to be on Saul's life. So now he's going to like lay it out. So he's going to say, basically, listen, I know we just, just did this. I cracked oil over you. I just said, are you not the leader? Like, God is approving you right now. And to show you that this is not a show, God is now going to confirm what we have really just displayed. So that's what's going to happen next in the following verses. So verse 2. When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelzah on the border of Benjamin. They will say to you, the donkeys you set out to look for have been found. And now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He is asking, what shall I do about my son? Okay, so if you remember from before... Saul, the whole reason Saul went is like away from his house is not because he knew he was going to go be king of anything. He just went out looking for donkeys. Like his father's livestock got lost. And as his, he was trying to find what his father lost, God had a plan in place for him to be called and anointed as king in the process. Which I think is pretty incredible. Sometimes you think you're on a useless mission like finding donkeys or just grinding it out at your job or just being in relationships that are just sort of like questions, like just weird. Just Life just seems like, the, it seems like you're just spinning your wheels. And 
And that's not at all the sum total of what's actually happening. Never is. Never is, especially for God's children. Never. Never, never, never. A useless trip to go find donkeys? Not so much. It's actually a trip to confirm what God really wanted to do and call it to destiny on his life. That's amazing to me. It's amazing. So Samuel says, when you leave here, you're going to find two guys. They're going to tell you, hey, listen, uh, we found your donkeys that you went out to look for in the first place, uh, but your dad's worried. You've got to go see him. Verse 3. Then you'll go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. So he says, after you meet these two guys that tell you about the donkeys, that they're fine, you're going to meet these other three guys. They're going to have three young goats, three things of bread, a thing of wine. They're going to give you two things of bread. Just make sure you take it. Verse 5. After that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, tambourines, flutes, and harps being played before them, and they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power and will prophesy, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. So make sure you underline that, because we're going to come back to that. It says, once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then it says, Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. So Samuel just gives him the whole, like, lowdown. Hey, listen, you're going to leave for me? Two guys, they're going to come tell you? Hey, the donkey thing, don't worry. They're found, but you've got to go see your dad because he's pretty stressed out about you. Um, next thing that's going to happen, you're going to count there three guys. Or, did they say how many guys? Three people, I think, right? Three people. They got three goats, three loaves of bread, and a skin of wine, right? And they're going to give you two loaves of bread, just take it. Okay. Um, And then after that, you're going to come in contact with these prophets, who, they're basically, they're carrying instruments. They got a tambourine, uh, they got a lyre, they got harps. Um, Chances are, uh, it says they just came down from from the high place. So they were just worshiping God in prayer, in song. They're probably uh, really in it, all jacked up from the Spirit, totally just high on God right now. And he's going to encounter them. And Saul says, hey, listen, as soon as you get around these people, you're actually going to start talking and doing what they're doing. He says, you're just going to be like changed. In a moment, just like that. And I'm sure Saul's like, this is like the craziest thing what you're telling me right now, but whatever. And then Samuel tells him, okay, after that, do whatever your hand finds you to do. Basically, I'm going to be with you. In other words, as long as all those things happen, just like I said, and you follow through on what I told you to do, God is not going to leave you. He's proven that he's by your side. You know, then just go after whatever God has before you. So let's see what happens. Verse 9. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God did what to his heart? He changed it, right? He changed it. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. It's a crazy day. When they arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came upon him in power, and he joined in their prophesying. When all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, what is this? What happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? So they know he's not, quote-unquote, a prophet and not really part of that group. But then when he gets around them, and he starts, they call it prophesying. And so if you look at the translation on that, it's really like um, they were singing. They were just declaring truths on God's behalf. They are talking about the good nature, about who God is. Like they just had an ability to just pour out things about God and what he is and what he's doing. And he's never done that before. So they're like, aren't you the same one that's the son of so-and-so? Like how, how'd that happen? 
Verse 12. A man who lived there answered, And who is uh, their father? So it became a saying of Saul also among the prophets. After Saul stopped prophesying, he went to the high place. It says, Now Saul's uncle asked him and his servant, Where have you been? They were gone for a while. Looking for the donkeys, he said. But when we saw they were not found, we went to Samuel. Saul's uncle said, Tell me what Samuel said to you. Saul replied, He assured us that the donkeys had been found, but he did not tell his uncle about what Samuel had done about the kingship. Can you imagine? So he told him like about the whole trip and all the stuff that happened. And he just got, you know, you put it into our terms today, he just got made president. And he didn't tell him. Then in verse 17, Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mitzpah and said to them, uh, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt. I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God who saves you out of all your calamities and distresses. And you have said, no, set a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. Verse 20. When Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. Then he brought forward the tribe of uh, Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was chosen. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further, the Lord, is the man actually here? So they called the entire nation out. And Samuel's basically going to declare like who the leader is, who the king is going to be. And they call him out. Hey, okay, your group, now your clan, now your family. And then, like, where is he? He's not there. So they ask God, they're like, well, did we get it wrong? Like, where is he? And the Lord said, yes, he is here. He has hidden himself among the baggage. So he went hiding. They ran and brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There was no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, Long live the king! Samuel explained to the people the regulations of the kingship. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited it before the Lord. Then Samuel dismissed the people, each to his own home. Saul also went to his home in Gibeah, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. But some troublemakers said, How can this fellow save us? They despised him, and brought him no gifts, but Saul kept silent. So, kind of a crazy scenario, right? Crazy day. He gets anointed king. Those three events happen. That uh, Samuel said were going to happen. Then he makes it home, and his uncle's like, "Hey, what happened?" Well, I'll tell you basically what happened, but I won't tell you that I got made king. Then when they call out the king, he's hiding. Talk about a guy who's scared of what God has for him. He's scared of what God has for him when he has waiting for him. Which is interesting to me because God just gave him all these signs that he said were going to happen, then they did happen. And he's like, no, I'm scared. And he's hiding. It's interesting. Although none of us, we never hide when God calls us to do stuff, right? So we don't know much about that. Yeah, so that's what I thought. Um, so here's just a couple of highlights that I just wanted to bring out. Um, number one is this theme of him being changed. We saw that twice, right? God had to do a work in Saul to change him so that he could really live out the destiny that God had for him. So you with me on this? Okay. And we said earlier, we said earlier that you and I are no less loved then God loved Saul. Are you with me so far? Right? No different, right? So, so God sees Saul, he sees Jared, he sees Keith, he sees whoever, loves him exactly the same, right? There is absolutely a unique calling on Saul's life though, right? I mean, you and I, like, we're not kings of anything. I mean, I'm not king of Nogatuck, you're not king of whatever, you know. Probably arguably the king of your home, like whatever it is. So, here's the thing that interests me though. The thing that interests me is that in the New Testament, okay, in the New Testament, when somebody decides to become a Christian and when they give their life over to God, does the Bible say 
that you become a new, changed person. Sure does. Let me clarify a little bit better so it's not confusing. What the Bible actually says, 2 Corinthians 5.17, says you're a new creation. Brand new. What happens is, when somebody says, Father, I receive what you've done for me. I know that Jesus paid a debt I could never repay. I thank you for the forgiveness and grace that's on my life. I'm going to live my life after you. When somebody does that, and they give their life over to God, the Spirit of God that caused Saul to prophesy and was with all these prophets and did a lot of other things in the Old Testament, what happens that same Spirit comes and lives within and takes dominion within a believer. So what happens is there's like this new life that comes inside. New seeds of new life. And that new seed now wants to become alive and actually come out and take over and take dominion because that's just what it does. That's what God's stuff does. It comes in, it takes over, and it just changes everything. So are you with me so far? So like you and I and Saul are not totally all that different. There's a change, there's a change that's promised and that's guaranteed for the believer. Amen? It's promised and it's guaranteed. It's promised and it's guaranteed. And the change happens from the inside out. Everybody say inside out. Inside out. out. Almost every, a lot of people try and make the changes from the outside and hopes it fixes the inside. And it doesn't work. Behavior modifications do not fix heart issues. Behavior modifications give you a little success maybe for a little while. But there's heart issues and heart dynamics and spiritual issues and spiritual dynamics for why those outside things are happening and why they're playing out. Like, they, you know, the guys talked about yesterday with Daryl Strawberry and all these guys. In particular, Daryl Strawberry, like his main issue, as, as he pointed out, you know, because his dad hated him so much and abused him and it was a horrible home, you know, Daryl Strawberry, he was just, hey, listen, I'm focused on succeeding. I was always told I wouldn't do well. I was beat down like I wasn't worth anything. So you know what? Now I'm gonna. And I'm gonna be amazing. And for the most part, he was. But at the heart of that drive to prove somebody wrong was actually his destruction. Because that opened doors and open places that his character could not handle. And he just went down. Anybody that knows the story, it's just bad. You just Google it, it's just a bad story. It's a bad story with a really hopeful ending. Because he talks about how his mom, she's like, you're coming to church. I'm telling you about Jesus. You stay in your word. Like, she was just, on him. On him. <clears throat> so you and I saw not all that different. Changes are supposed to be happening. But here's also the reality that I just wanted to like just talk about real quick. Is that because somebody becomes a Christian does not automatically mean that they become a different person. What it does mean is that the potential for that new birth, for that new person to shine and come out is there. But it does take our cooperation as well. Because some people would just say and just think that, well, God is God. I am now a Christian. I'm one of his children. Like, he's going to do what he's going to do. And whatever he doesn't like, he's not going to let happen, and he's in full control. And part of that is true, but a large part of that is not true. A large part of that is not true. Here's what I wrote down. Your choice is critical to your change. Your choice is is critical to your change. Your choice is critical to your change. For Saul, it said that he turned in a moment he was changed. And when he was with the uh, prophets, prophesying, boom, just changed. God just like, forced it, brought it, bam, there it goes. When somebody is a Christian and the Spirit of God lives inside of them, change is guaranteed. Everybody say guaranteed. Guaranteed. Guaranteed 
The pace is not. Are you with me? The pace is not. Well, what does that mean? What does that imply? What that means and what that implies is that the pace of our change, the pace of our change is very strongly linked to the choices that we make and the embracing of the process that comes with it. And I think the great picture of that is the Israelites and they just wandered around the desert for 40 years. They just were just not ready. They were just not ready. Not ready. And there's stories of many people in life who like have accepted God, you know, they become Christians. The Spirit is still at work. The Spirit is there. He is at work. But choices that we make delays the process and makes it very difficult for that change of the inside to really come on out. Does that make sense what I'm saying? So our choices very much affect the dominion and the power of the Holy Spirit that resides inside of us. Our choices are huge. They're really important. And it's true, God can do things. He can change anything in a moment. He can make anything happen. But much of the fruitfulness and the growth that happens from the inside of us as it comes out is due to our choice. And why is it our choice? Because God wants us to be, by our own choice, in full agreement with what He already wants to do. He's looking for us just to be on the same page with Him. To be on the same page. Be on the same plan. And just say, yes and amen, Lord. That's what you're doing. That's what you're calling it. That's what I want to do. That's the way I want to live. And if we don't really embrace what he wants to do, and we decide to say, well, okay, I hear what you're saying, God, uh, but I I don't really want to do that. It's going to be a problem. It stifles. The Bible calls it a quenching, a grieving of the Holy Spirit. And it's like, it's a problem. And not only would it be a problem for us, it's actually a problem for those of us, those that are around us too. Because then it's very confusing to people. It's like, oh, your life is like totally for the Lord, but yet there seems to be hang-ups, disconnects in these areas that I'm confused about. And people get confused about things. So our choice is critical to our change. Change is guaranteed, but the pace is not. Does that make sense? So really the only question, I guess, is will I cooperate? That's really the only question. The question at the end of the day is, is Jared actually going to cooperate with the Spirit already wants to do? That's the question. Will Jared cooperate? (laughs) That's it. Here's the great news. The great news is, if I choose to cooperate, the Spirit promises to work it out for my good and for my benefit as He sees fit. God promises to give me peace along the way. He promises to encourage my hope. He promises for me to see His hand of provision. He promises me to understand Him as I need to understand who He is so it just releases me from so much of the grip for the rest of my life. That's really good news. But that's really the question just for so many people at the end of the day. It's the question before we give our life to the Lord, okay, will you cooperate with what Jesus already did for you? And then somebody says, well, yes, okay, well, I'll give my life to God, I'll say a prayer, I'll do whatever. But that question of will you cooperate continues to get revisited. Because our surrender and following Him is like an onion with layers. It needs to continue to have layers peeled off. So God can get to continued new places in our hearts and in our lives. And it's actually a pretty beautiful process. And it's a super freeing process. And what it does is it actually unleashes our destiny in the process. So the question is, will I cooperate? Will you cooperate? I hope it's a resounding yes. And if it's not a resounding yes, 
it's really worthwhile to think about why not, to write down why not, to talk with other people why that, not, why that might not be the case. Tell you what, that's the most important conversation you could ever have. That's the most important conversation you could ever have. If it's not a resounding yes, and you're not having that conversation with somebody, like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, seriously, I say it to myself, like, what are you doing? That's the most important issue. And then from there, like, we can get to, okay, I'm in full cooperation. Now is my life actually reflecting it? Am I just convincing myself of something that's not really true, maybe partly true? You know, and then we've got to involve our community of Christ, you know, followers and Christian brothers and sisters and say, hey, I think I'm in full cooperation. I think God's asked me to do this, this, and this, and I'm trying to follow it. What do you think, brother? Somebody, if it's somebody you really trust, they'll, they'll, they'll give it to you. The good and the bad, whatever it might be. And it's just so necessary. And that's where discipleship happens. That's where growth happens. It's just so good. It's so good. So change... Change is guaranteed, but the pace is not. And the question is, will I cooperate? And I sure hope I don't look like what I used to look like five years ago. I sure hope I don't. And I don't mean physically, right? I mean my life, my decisions, the way I talk, just the way I think. It should look like a lot different. If it's not, I really have to reevaluate. Like, oh, man, like, what am I doing? Obviously, something's up. Because the Spirit promises victory. It promises forward. It promises an image that looks more like Jesus. And if I'm not getting more to that place, I'm really deceiving myself in the process. And it doesn't matter how well somebody could preach, how well somebody could sing, how well somebody could serve. This is a, this is a heart issue. Right? It's a heart issue. It always was and always will be. It's always about heart issues. And nobody can police us on our heart issues. Only we really know what's going on inside. That's why it's important stuff. So the change is guaranteed. And I really hope, I really hope, I really hope. I need it to happen more in my life, to be honest with you. So you know how the prophets came around and they're like, what happened to this person? What happened to Saul? Look at his family. Look at his dad. How can he be, how does he talk like this now and say these things? It needs to happen more in my own life. Like, who is that's Jared? Like, what? How? Right? It needs to happen in your life. Like, what? That's Eric Dumas. Eric Dumas. You know, like he should run into people in life and be like, "Wait a second, you know, Eric Dumas." And then they rehash some kind of old story where we did something stupid. And it's like, yes, that one. Yes, yes, yes. But it's like, people should be perplexed by us on occasion. Do you understand what I'm saying? Not because we're so weird and out of our minds, we just do strange things. That might happen from time to time. But really, just there should just be... And it's not something we'd have to coerce out of them. Aren't I different now? Aren't I different? That's like so needy and weird. <laughs> just like I said, be the best version of who you are. Just secure and like, listen, I know who I am. It's just freeing to just know who you are sometimes and just live in that and just give that with the gospel all over it. I'll be 37 years old this year. I got a jump shot that's broke on most days and I'm trying to get it better. I got a busted red truck. I like to play on the floor with my kids. I enjoy to go fishing. I don't enjoy being around a lot of people. I need time to myself. I do goofy and weird things. My dance moves aren't as good as I think they are. Like, it's just, it's like you just have to be who you are. And not put on some kind of weird, fr- that was another thing I found very enjoyable about the men's conference thing is like, especially guys, you know, just try and put up, it's interesting to, you know, the guys saying, hey, what's going on? Hey. You know, it's like, we do this stuff and like guys are like, you do these things or you talk louder, you try to be dominant, you know, or you try to like, be sarcastic first to make them laugh or like there's all these like weird dysfunctions and it's just like weird guy code that just gets absorbed you guys know what I'm talking about guys do it we do that 
But it was so nice to just be at the conference, like, where you might come in contact, or I came in contact with people, and it's just like, just be totally disarming. It's like, hey, man, what's going on? You're just sitting next to them. Guys typically don't even, like, acknowledge each other when they're sitting next to each other. Hey, brother, how are you? Where are you from? And it just changed, like, the whole dynamic. Hey, great, man. Da-da-da-da-da. Just talk about whatever. You know who else does that? Actually, babies do that really well, too. I just walked by somebody. I just did this morning. I was in Walmart getting stuff for church. Walked by a couple guys who, you know, in my opinion, they just look like harder individuals, just, like, just not disinterested. You know, it's like, you know, it's early in the morning. You know, walking by. And I catch a glance at Jericho, and they're like, oh. You know, they just smile. And that one guy chased me down twice. He's like, man, that's just a beautiful baby. That just made me smile. Just made my day better. Hey, that's awesome. You know what I mean? But that's what the world, that's what I'm saying. Like, there is a change happening in my life and in your life to where God is trying to bring out the original design that's not held back and restricted by so much nonsense to where the gospel can just shine through and you can just be who you are. And if you have issues with that, then why are you fighting it? Like, talk about that. Have the conversation. Women's group's time is a perfect time to talk about stuff like that. Men's group's time, perfect time to talk about stuff like that. We'll throw away the study and we'll talk about the stuff that actually matters. You hear what I'm saying? Because this is the stuff that matters. We were created within an amazing intellect and creator and design. He said, hey, listen, this is, this is the way I made you. This is, this is going to be beautiful. It might not match up and look like somebody else's. It's fine. It's good. Yeah, who cares, right? That's what we should be. It's fine, good, and beautiful. Let it rock. And put me all over it. And honestly, that's what draws people to Jesus. Not necessarily if you know all the evangelism rules and techniques. People want to just know, do you know who Jesus is? Like, is he in your life? It's a real deal thing that just really just takes over. All right, so change. Here's the last thing I wanted to say. Um, there's something interesting, and you might have missed it, and you probably did. I know I did first time I read it. Um, verse 8. Take a look there real quick. Verse 8 says, Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you. So Samuel's talking to Saul. I know it gets confusing with all these S's. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of a spoiler alert. Excuse me. Uh, Saul was really bad at waiting. That, that was a big problem for him. It was so much of a problem that everything that God equipped and empowered him with, it actually got really jeopardized and sabotaged by his inability to wait well. Um, and that's too bad. That's too bad. And, and one thing I wrote down here, the way that you or I deal with waiting greatly determines our destiny. The way you or I deal with waiting, specifically waiting on God, the way you or I do that greatly determines our destiny. God had it set up for Saul to be king, to be successful, to do well, to lead well, to put the nation on a really good track. His inability to wait on God when God, and we're going to find out that he, he, he did it a few times, God was really clear, wait on this, wait on this. And what happened is, Saul, he got frustrated, he got anxious, and he said, no, like we, we have to do something. If I wait any longer, things are going to fall apart. And I understand that side of the brain, we're like, if you don't do something, like, something bad could happen. <laughs> you know, like you, you just want to jump the gun, you got to force it. And it got him in trouble, it got him in trouble. And this delay 
the ability to handle delays, I think is a super valuable part for you and for I to make sure that it's on our radar and we're actually very intentional about. Because sometimes when we are frustrated and we're anxious, we tend to make calls and do things and, and God is saying, wait. Let me tell you something. Think, think about your life. Think, think about just life as a whole. How many things are you actually in complete control of? I mean, just think of it. Total control. I mean, you, you control it. I mean, just think of anything. Driving your truck, right? But hopefully all the parts in there are going to work and fire right and do stuff, right? Yeah, I think you're going to be pretty hard-pressed to find one thing in your life that you're actually in control of. Think of one thing. I'd like to think I'm in charge of my kids, you know, but... (laughs) Yeah. I'd like to think that for the most part I'm in charge of a lot of my choices. But even then, like, I can even still see in my life that many of the choices I made were, were like responses from emotional places. So maybe, you know, the emotions were calling the shot there. Like much of control is an illusion that we fight so hard to have and get. It's so much of an illusion. And it so freaks us out (laughs) when we don't get our illusion. Because if that wasn't the case, then delaying really wouldn't be an issue. We'd just be okay with the delay. Because we know that we weren't really in control in the first place. It would just be fine. I'll tell you, one thing that God has made me super aware of, especially the past like year or so, year and a half, I'd say, he's made it really clear to me that um, uh, he needs, I need to allow him, right? You've got to say it right. you got to say it right. Yes, he needs our partnership to do things. We also have to allow him to do things. Um, I have to allow him to greatly help me with my inability to handle frustrations well. I don't handle frustrations well. I'm just, I found that out the past year, year and a half. I don't do a good job with that. My mind goes places. I think things. I say things. I do things. And I'm like, what is that? And Spirit's like, well, that's a problem we're working on. <laughs> I'm like, well, thank you for showing that to me. Now get rid of it! <laughs> and it doesn't quite work that way. But I have to partner with the process of him removing it and things coming up. Let me see here. A couple things. Um, God's definitely going to change us. We certainly can't be a Christian and be the same person we were five years ago, two years ago. Can't happen, right? Can't happen. Um, Circumstances are going to shape us, but the Spirit wants to mold us. You with me on that? Circumstances are going to shape us, but the Spirit wants to mold us. So, you know, we're going to change based on what life happens to us. Like real, I mean, difficult things happen, you know, and they shape us. But they're not supposed to really shape exactly who we are. The Spirit's supposed to be doing that from the inside out. From the inside out. And the exciting thing is, is that for you and for I, is that there's greater transformation, greater change, waiting, in process now, and happening. And I don't know about you, but I I hope that you're excited about that. At least one person is. It's pretty good. I mean, I'm just excited to see how God can, you know, use myself to a greater degree, to be more impactful, to where more of what I do doesn't overshadow what, like, He wants to do. And the same is true in your life. And what that means, the very interesting thing is, is what that means is, like, this implies that no situation is, in life is beyond redemption. You know this? Like, there's no situation that's beyond redemption. He's going to continue to transform us, continue to equip us, 
no matter where life might go, no matter what might happen, God is still faithful. He's on the throne and He can redeem any situation. So, anything is. People that like lose touch with kids over time, people that have issues with past spouses, uh, people that just develop bad habits over time, like everything is on the table and it will get changed and it will get redeemed. It doesn't mean there's no consequences for any of it, but it does mean that there's hopeful redemption where it can be completely redeemed for His glory, for our benefit, and also for those involved. So it's like really good news. But we never will figure that out if we struggle with that question of, am I going to cooperate? That's really the main issue. Right? It's the main issue. So let's um, pass out this, our communion elements. Maybe Eric, you want to help out with that? Steve, you want to help out too? Thanks. So I want to share with you a couple of uh, a couple of things that I thought about when I was just you know preparing the message. I am most encouraged. I think it's helpful to write these things down sometimes. I am most encouraged by God's heart of destiny and empowerment over my life. I am most encouraged. I don't know what you're encouraged about about God, but I just felt like Spirit just had me just actually write it down. I am most encouraged by God's heart of destiny and empowerment over my life. And he had it for Saul. He's got it for you. He's got it for me. I'm just super encouraged by that. I'm most joyful about his tremendous plans. I'm most joyful about his tremendous plans. You could even put the word confusing in there. But I'm joyful about them. I'm most confident about His Spirit that lives in me and empowers me. I'm not super confident about myself and my abilities, but I am definitely confident, you know, about who lives in me and what He's doing. Thanks. So it might be worthwhile for you to, like, at some point this week or later today, I'm most encouraged by... I'm most joyful about, I'm most confident in. Most encouraged by, most joyful about, most confident in. I'm very curious to see what you guys would actually put in there. I'm like really curious. I'd actually love to see that. If you feel bold enough, put it on like the church Facebook page like so we can see it. I think it would be really encouraging for people. You know? um, but you don't, of course you don't have to. But... Um, it's worthwhile to ask ourselves that stuff, you know, and just about your father. What do you just encourage about by your father? What brings you most joy about your father? And what do you feel most confident in your father doing? I think it'll bring it to a good place. So it says, while they're eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body, and so we take and we eat. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And we take and we drink. So let's stand. We'll close in prayer. I want to do a song, but it's already kind of late.
So, Father, I thank you, Lord, that transformation and change is guaranteed for each and every one of us, Lord. I thank you for that, Father. I thank you that that transformation and change is not for our demise. It's not to hurt us. It's not to show how you disapprove of us. I thank you, Father, that your transformation and change is coming from a perfectly loving heart and it only has our best interests and heaven's interests in mind. So I just, I thank you for that, Lord. Even when we're crying out how unthankful we are when we go through things, Lord, that are just difficult sometimes that you're doing, we do thankful, we are thankful, Lord, in the end for it. And I just thank you, Lord, for each and every person in the room and the potential and calling you have on their life, Lord, to where in many ways they'll just be unrecognizable because of how you're just going to continue to change and transform. So I pray that you would fill myself, that you'd fill all of us with the courage to cooperate no matter the cost. Fill us with the courage to cooperate no matter the cost. Because we want to make good choices, Lord. We want to make powerful choices with you at the center. We want to make choices, Lord, that are going to lead to freedom, that are going to bring life, that are going to give you glory. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you just touch each mind and each heart here, that you will give a boldness and a courage to follow you, cooperate with you, embrace the process no matter what it means. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.